So this is fun. Nine principles for Bible reading. How many of you remember when we went through this? This is from Brother Knox. And uh, so we're just going to go through this quickly tonight. This needs to be included in our how to study the Bible. So nine principles for Bible reading. First, why don't we pray before we dive in? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for Grace Baptist, these faithful people. Lord, thank you for this place. Lord, I pray that those that are away from us tonight, that are in family gatherings and things, I pray that they have the opportunity to share their faith. But Father, as we study your word tonight, help us to read it better. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, read knowing the Bible is a spiritual book. It is a spiritual book. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 I referenced this passage this morning, but we didn't go to it. The Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, um, let's see how well you all have been paying attention. So, when we're comparing things spiritual with spiritual, what is the cross-reference that we would always go to, to demonstrate what it means to compare things spiritual with spiritual? What is it? Anyone? John 6.63. Let's go there. Good job, Dan New. And Sue Blackford, was it Sue that was shouting that out? All right. I know Jeff didn't know it. John 6.63. I know you, Jeff, you're thinking, what did I do? What, what is it me tonight? Uh, Patrick's not here. So, John 6.63. Something bad's happening over here. I don't, oh, Patrick's over there. See, you got out of it. That's great. Oh, he's tricky. He's a stealthy ninja. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So Jacob and Amanda and I were discussing some things this afternoon, and he was talking about how difficult it is to talk with other Christians about doctrine. It's very difficult because when they look at the Bible, they don't look at it as a spiritual book, as a spiritually preserved book. When we teach the Bible, this is it. We have the Bible. We have the words. And if you're going to study the Bible, the only way it's going to be opened up to you is if you actually believe it. You have to believe it. My personal testimony on this subject is... so. I was raised as pretty much of a Bible believer. Dad was a good Bible teacher, never corrected the Bible, but he he would not have understood some of the things that we have learned. My senior year of high school, my mom and dad moved to Indiana. I stayed in New York, and there was a little church that had started near the place where we were living in a hotel. It was Bible Baptist Church of Lockport, New York. And I walked in on a Wednesday night, and I still remember... Pastor Rod Phillips writing on a, on a chalkboard. And here's what he was saying as I walked in. They're bringing in the kingdom. They're bringing in the kingdom. That's where I learned about that. It's my senior year of high school. 
So I got grounded in some things about the King James Bible. I went to Bible college and, and floundered in Bible college fighting the call to preach for, let's see, from 1981 until 1995. Isn't that crazy? I was serving God in that time, but I was fighting the call to preach. So I surrendered to preach around 1992. That's when I went to Crown. Got my four-year degree in two and a half years, working full-time, about killed us. And um, without Laura, I couldn't have done it. And at that segment at Crown College, we were taught that the TR position, the Textus Receptus position. So when I became pastor at Grace Baptist... I would have had that TR position that the King James is an accurate translation, but my authority was my Greek New Testament. And so I'll never forget, uh, I'd had my cordless phone. I didn't have a cell phone yet. My cordless phone, I'd walk up and down the hallway, up in the uh, education wing, talking on the phone to different people. And Dalton Robertson said, Jim, what's your authority? Is your authority that Greek New Testament? Is your authority the Bible that you hold in your hands? What's your authority? And so I went to the Lord. And I was really under conviction because I had determined that this was my authority. And then I had it taught out of me. And so I just went to the Lord. I said, God, if if this is true, if this book is true, I'm going, and, and I, I you know, guys, don't make gar- bargains with God. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to submit to him, right? But I said, God, I am going to study this King James Bible. I'm going to study it believing that every word is true. If it's true, will you open it up for me? Will you unlock it for me? And, folks, everything changed in my Bible, my understanding of the Bible, my ability to teach it, my ability to communicate it. Everything changed. Why? Because this is the Bible. The the built-in interpretation that God has given us in this English Bible is stuff that's not taught in the Bible colleges. They don't know it. They don't know it. And so if you really want to understand the Bible, if I'm just telling you, man, I'm nobody. I try to tell you about stuff that I'm doing when I'm traveling. I try not to talk about it too much because it sounds like I'm pumping myself up. Almost every time I preach and there are young men, young preachers there, they come to me and they say, how do you do that? I, I, I was at a meeting in New York for church planters. And there were, I don't remember how many after the service, I don't know, maybe four or five guys. One of them in tears saying, okay, I graduated from Bible college. I'm pastoring. How do I not know this? How have I never seen this? They had me come and do my uh, biblical response to Reformed theology. And the beginning of that is how to study the Bible. That's my first message. Is You can't understand how to deal with Calvinism unless you know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And so I, I present, these guys are saying, how come I never learned this? Why, why do I feel like I've wasted my education? No, you didn't. They learned a lot of really helpful stuff. They just need to add this to it. Amen? Maybe forget a few things that they were taught. But it, they, they did not waste their time. I want you to be able to interpret the Bible the same way I do. The only thing that ought to uh, hinder any of us in that is our time and our intellectual capacity. 
Other than that, we all have the same access to the Word of God, the same Holy Spirit, the same words. Amen? It's just a matter of learning and devoting the time, but foundationally, it must begin with believing every word. Know that it's a spiritual book. When I deal with the subject of Bible translation, and pray for me, I'm I'm praying about launching a YouTube channel and answering questions about the Bible and in a, in a short form, not in a sermon preaching form, but, you know, go in my cool office and have a cool setting and, and just be cool because, you know, look at me. How many of you think I need prayer really bad on that? So, no, I really am. I'm thinking about because these young men are being influenced by people in social media and it doesn't seem like anybody with any sense is pushing back on it. Well, do we have the truth on this? So I want to put that stuff out. And here's one of the key issues on on the whole Bible subject. Modern Bible translation methods, modern textual criticism, that's where they look at manuscripts and they try to determine what words, you know, to include in their compilation called a text. Um, So so remember what you have. You have an autograph. That's what the Bible writer wrote down. You have a manuscript. That's a manually copied scripture. It's a manuscript. And so you have the autograph. A copy of that is a manuscript. What textual critics do is they take a group of manuscripts, they compare them, and they compile them into one text. They say, okay, Genesis 1-1 says this. Matthew 2-3 says this. Because all these texts, they all agree on this. This is my text. This is what I'm going to trust. That's a text. All right? And then you have a translation. So autograph, what the Bible writer wrote. Manuscript, that's a copy of it. A text, that's where someone takes a compilation of manuscripts and produces one copy of the Bible in an original language. Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, or all the above. And so... Um, from there, then Bible translation is made. The problem in textual criticism is trying to treat the Bible like you would Aristotle, like you would Plato, like you would Socrates. Now, the interesting thing about Socrates, and I've said this before, I want you to remember this, you young people, this is a really good thing for you to know. Whenever someone quotes Socrates, they're actually quoting Plato because we have, we have none there, there are none of Socrates' writings extant. None of them are available. They're not there. You, have, you had one other man who quoted Socrates, and Plato actually reproduced some of Socrates' writings. We have no idea whether Socrates actually wrote those or not. Because do you know what the oldest copy of Plato that we own is? It's like 13 A.D. He lived 300-400 B.C., 1,700 years later is the closest copy we have to it. Our Bible, we've got copies way closer than that. And yet, they want to treat the Bible the way that they would treat Socrates. But you, want, you know what's interesting? None of them would ever doubt they have Socrates' words. All Christian scholars doubt whether or not they have the words of God. How many of you think there's a faith problem there? See, the issue is the Bible must be dealt with spiritually. It is a supernatural book, and God has promised to supernaturally preserve it. 
and we get to study it. So, number one, read knowing that the Bible is a spiritual book. If there are nine of these, I know some of you are thinking that we're in trouble. We'll, we'll go a little bit faster through them. You do not need the help of God to read a novel, the sports page, or Shakespeare. Amen? Now, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you pray before you read the sports page. But to understand the Bible, you must know the author. We said that this morning. To understand the Bible, you must know the author. When the Old Testament writers completed their work, they did not understand what they had written. Remember, we've looked at that. They inquired to God, what is this salvation? What is it that we're writing about? And Jesus told them, it's not for you. It's for those that have heard the gospel preached with the, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. There's a dispensational division that takes place at Pentecost. Everything changed after that. They didn't understand what they were writing, but they knew that it was a spiritual book. 1 Corinthians 2.12, that we might know, that we might know. Only saved people can understand the Bible. So, you know, one of the difficult things as a preacher is when you're preaching to an audience of saved and lost people, um, you have to make a determination. How many of you have been in churches where the Sunday morning service was simply a different presentation of the gospel every week? That's a methodology. I've chosen not to do that here at Grace Baptist. Because what I noticed in, the, in many of those churches is you have people that don't really know the Bible. And lost people, it's good for them to hear more than the gospel message, but it's always there. I don't know if I've ever preached a Sunday morning service without giving the gospel in that service, but that's not the centerpiece of it. See, one of the reasons that people make the gospel the centerpiece of every sermon is because they think that's the central theme of the Bible. We're going to study that next Sunday. Is the gospel the theme of the Bible? No, no. The return of Jesus Christ to the earth where he's going to receive his glory is the theme of the Bible. When you understand that, then maybe that ought to change the emphasis of my preaching. Amen? You have to do it. You have to understand it. But only saved people can understand the Bible. Then, number two, read the Bible itself. Read the Bible itself. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. Many people, the only thing they know about the Bible is what they've heard preached. Does that make sense? Because they've never studied it for themselves. 2 Corinthians 3. And you know that in many places they're told, you can't really understand the Bible, you have to have me. That's the opposite of what we're doing. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When what? When their heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and they can understand the Bible. They can find themselves in the Word of God and the things that the Bible is saying. But you have to read the Bible itself. God has taken the veil away. I can't understand what I read, but I must read it. Look at Isaiah thirty-four sixteen.
Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded and his spirit it hath gathered them. Read it. Read it. Seek and read. Then Acts 17.11, we cited that this morning. That the Bereans, those in Berea, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What did they do? They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. All right? Then, look at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. I used to stamp this. I have a a stamp that I had made, and I would stamp all of my books with it, this verse. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13 Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. To reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to read the Bible. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I have to make myself do that. And sometimes you ever, you're doing something else, and the Lord impresses you that you should be reading the Bible. And for me, I, oh, all right, and I go like it's a drudgery. And then as soon as I start reading it, it's wonderful. That's, how many of you ever experienced that? What is that? That's our, that's, I don't know about you guys. That's my flesh. That's my flesh. We have to read it. Give attendance to it. Now, that give attendance to it, what does that mean? When you take attendance, what does that mean? They're trying to see whether you're there or not. When you read the Bible, are you there? Have you ever gotten done reading a page of the Bible and you don't remember a thing you read? How many of you that's happened to you? That you've got to give attendance to it. Give attend- you know, How many of you know it doesn't matter how much you read? If you, if you read 10 pages, 10 chapters, you know, if you have an old Schofield Bible, you read 10 chapters a day, you'll read it every month, once a month. How about that? That's interesting, isn't it? No, no, I'm sorry, 40 pages a day. If you have an old Schofield Bible, you read 40 pages a day in your Bible, you'll read through your Bible every month. If you don't remember any of it, what good is that? Give attendance to it. Have you ever noticed the Bible doesn't tell you? How many of you noticed it doesn't tell you how much to read? Read it. Give attendance to it. That's how you'll understand it. Number three, read the Bible as it is in truth, the Word of God. Isn't this a good verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.13? I need to memorize this verse. Probably pretty close to having it memorized, but 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this, call also, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I mentioned this morning um, that I don't have authority. This is the authority. Amen? Would you all agree with that? In administration, I do. In in. Reference to the Word of God, I don't. This is the authority. But when I preach it, now you're responsible to do it. If what I preach agrees with it, how many of you know that's a big if? If what I preach agrees with this, now it's your responsibility to receive it and to do it. That's what the text says. You received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God. And then here's what happens when you believe it and you start to do it, then it effectually works in you. And it's amazing to see what God will do in your life. Then, if you read as a skeptic, it will not help you. 
If you read it as a critic, it will not help you. If you read it and believe it, it will change you. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 3. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in the sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? What God wants us to know, it's all in the Bible. If I believe it, it will have power. It's true. There's profit in it. And I can believe what God says about righteousness and judgment. Doubt closes the door of truth. Doubt closes the door of truth. When you read the Bible, you have to believe it. You have to believe it. The I guess it was uh, Mark Twain who said, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand. And I don't know that Mark Twain ever submitted to it. The things that you need to know from the Bible, the most important things, they are clearly seen. They are clearly seen. Believe it. Believe it. All right. I'm going to finish or continue this next Sunday night.